I just thought there had to be a book with answers. So I went to the library, I went on Amazon, I'm just, you know, piling all these books mm-hmm. in my dorm room. And eventually I was left empty-handed. So that's when I thought, well, if no one's going to write the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not write it myself? Hey everyone, we're here on the Founder Hour. I'm Posh and this is Pat and we're here with our special guest Alex Benayan who is an author and the youngest venture capitalist in the world. I don't know if he's the youngest now but he was at one point um, and so we're super excited to have this conversation with you Alex and you know talk about your journey and you know what it led to and where you are today so we're glad to, hey, thank you know, you glad me, to have you here. Yeah. Likewise. So let's, uh, we always like to start off, you know, hearing about our guest background. So tell us a little bit about you growing up. What was your childhood like? Tell us more about it. When I was in third grade, I wore scrubs to school for Halloween and I thought like I was the cool kid in school. (laughs) And to understand why I was that kid when I was in third grade, you have to understand that, as you guys know, I'm the son of Jewish immigrants, which pretty much means... You know, I came out of the womb, my mom cradled me in your arms and stamped MD on my ass and sent me on my way. And it was only until much later when I was farther along in my mission that I learned really the circumstances my parents came to America. You know, they were fleeing a revolution. Um, They were being persecuted for their religion. They came from Iran. And when they came to America, they had this idea that you know, they were just willing to sacrifice everything mm-hmm. with the hopes of giving me an education because what they've learned and what they believed is that, you know, if you're a doctor, if you can save people, no matter what happens in your country, yeah, you'll always have a future. Mm-hmm. So that's why me growing up as a doctor to my parents was their biggest dream, um, to my grandparents is their biggest hope. And that's why when I got to college my freshman year I was the pre-med of pre-meds but very quickly I started to realize maybe I'm not on my path you know maybe I'm on a path somebody placed me on and I'm just rolling down did you ever you know accept the fact that yeah I guess I'll be a doctor like it's not so bad I mean it's, it's a great profession it's a great way to you know help people and really you know make a difference in the world were you did you ever accept that whether it was you know in high school or early on in college? I loved it, man. I loved it. And yeah, when I wore the scrubs to school for Halloween, yeah. I, I wasn't complaining. I thought it was super cool. Yeah, like yeah. my parents were proud of me. My grandparents were very happy. Um, I remember in, I think it might've been like first grade, the PE coach started calling me the doc mm. because I think we were, it was like during PE and he was like trying to like do a trivia and he's like, all right, I'm going to ask the hardest trivia question. Anyone who gets this gets like, 100 points extra credit. Yeah. He was like trying to think of something like first graders would mm-hmm, never know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's the name of this bone? And I was like, phalanges. <laughs> and like he just lost his shit. Um, and the only reason I knew that is because my mom had hung up like a skeleton chart on the fridge. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. And like oh, okay. one of the only ones like I ever read was like phalanges because I thought it was like a funny word. Yeah. Um, and that might win you like HQ trivia now. Right. Like, it's it's like those dumb questions that are on there, but that's great. <laughs> um, so, you're now in your freshman in college. Um, you're having these, you know, what do I want to do with my life type questions. 
what do you do with your life at that point? You know, what is going on in your head? So not only did I not know what I wanted to do with my life, it was like an identity crisis, you know? Yeah. My whole life I thought I was going to be a doctor. So now not only am I not going to be a doctor, the question is, all right, not only do, what do I want to do, it's how am I going to do it? And the questions naturally evolved, evolved into like how did Bill Gates sell his first piece of software when he was my age and nobody knew his name? Mm-hmm. Or how did Spielberg, when he was rejected from film school, become the youngest director in Hollywood history without a single hit to his name? Mm-hmm. These are the things they don't normally teach you in school. So no. I just thought there had to be a book with answers. So I went to the library. I went on Amazon. I'm just you know piling all these books mm-hmm. in my dorm room. And eventually I was left empty-handed. So that's when I thought, well, if no one's going to write the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not write it myself? Did you have any clue as to what you wanted to do? If not... I knew what I was interested in. And if you look at the book, you sort of get an insight into my interest too, right? Mm -hmm. So there's business, there's entertainment, there's music, there's technology. You just Um, didn't know, like, you don't have one thing in mind. There wasn't like... Yeah, there wasn't something I was gunning for. It was... You know, a friend of mine has this phrase that says, you know, the question is the answer. And me asking the question of what I want to do with my life was the answer in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you're you like, I'm going to write this book. Um, and so you're still in school at the time. You're, you're a freshman. Uh, did you plan on staying in school? Did you end up staying in school? How did, what did you do? So during my freshman year, you know, I needed to find some money to fund this journey. Mm -hmm. Because my idea was, all right, if no one's written the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not write it myself? You know, I thought I'd just call up Bill Gates, interview him, interview everyone else, and I'll be done in a few months. Nice summer project, yeah. Right, exactly. So that I thought would be the easy part. The hard part was getting money to fund the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, I was buried in tuition payments, all out of bar mitzvah cash, (laughs) so there had to be a way to make some quick money. So two nights before final exams, freshman year of college, I find tickets to The Price is Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that night, I was, you know, buried in finals, study material. And, and what was your major at this time? I was I was doing both business and pre-med. Okay. So, but I believe at the time I was studying for like a bio final. Okay. And, you know, my first thought when I find, you know, I find tickets to the prices mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. My thinking is, you know, why don't I just go on the show and win some money to fund my journey? Mm. Um. But, you know, it was a dumb idea. I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. Plus, I had finals in two days. So that night, I did the logical thing, and I pulled an all-nighter to study. But I didn't study for finals. They started how to hack the prices right. Mm-hmm. So I go on the show the next day and execute this ridiculous strategy and end up winning the whole showcase showdown, mm-hmm. winning a sailboat, selling it, and that's how I funded the book. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for those that are, it's in the book. The whole story's in the book, so we'll have readers read that. Um, and it's an amazing story. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned about just, you know, perseverance and passion and using that, you know, in your, I mean, use your strengths in your favor, really. Like, even when you have no idea what you're doing, like, and the fact that you don't know it all, like whatever you're doing, it's like, you might not know, you know, every single step, but you kind of figured it out along the way where you kind of pulled from all sides and, you know, had people kind of helping you out to, to get to your ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. So. It's a great story. I love it. And people will definitely read it. Yeah. And your question about, you know, staying in school, my whole freshman year during this whole Price is Right situation, this life crisis, I was in school, Mm -hmm. sophomore year, I was in school. Um, So it never was a thing that crossed my mind. The only reason I ended up having to leave college was because 
the mission and going to class started to collide. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get into the mission shortly. Um, you said that the cash and the money was what was stopping you in your mind. Um, once you got that, you know, once you got the funding, essentially, was it easy to get these interviews? Was it easy to meet Bill Gates and all the folks that were kind of in your, you know, in your pipeline? No, not at all. So, you know, it took two years to get to Bill Gates. It took three years to get to Lady Gaga. And this whole journey, the interviews plus writing the book is a seven-year quest. Yeah. So it's been, you know, pretty much my entire adult life mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, ever since I was 18 years old. So even some of the, you know, interviews that didn't take two years, they just happened in the craziest ways. You know, I chased Larry King through a grocery store. I hacked Buffett's shareholders meeting. So it was this really wild adventure the whole way through. Mm -hmm. So what was the first step after, you know, getting the money and getting the interview or getting the first interview? Once I, you know, got the money for the price right and said I was really going to do this, the first question was, all right, who am I going to interview? Yeah. Right? Because I don't really believe in those whole, like, you know, Forbes 100 lists or algorithms that measure success like that. So who was I going to talk to for this mission? So I just called my best friends one night and told them to come over and we all sat in a room and... I just asked them if we could create our dream university, who would be our professors? You know, Bill Gates would teach business, Lady Gaga would teach music, Steve Wozniak computer science, Maya Angelou poetry, Steven Spielberg film, Buffett would teach finance, Quincy Jones would teach production. Um, you know, we just went back and forth until we finally had this list and I wrote all the names on a little note card and kept it in my wallet and that's how the journey took off and essentially that list became almost like my treasure map for this journey. Mm. So um, did, did you just like make the list and just start cold emailing them um, or just kind of finding out where they were going to be or like how, how did you kind of get the ball all of the All of the above. So yeah. I remember one of the first things I did is I like went to like the Gates Foundation website and like found like info at Gates Found, you know, just... Any way in. Yeah. And of course those lead nowhere. Yeah. You know, th those are like meant to just, you know, be a place where people who they want to reject will email. Um, what I learned, the method that worked, if you had to look at the underlying method or mindset that led to all the interviews, plus when I finally got the interviews, the underlying method that all those people used to launch their careers, I realized was the exact same mm -hmm. thing. And it was almost like this common melody in all these stories. And the analogy that came to me is that life and business and success is just like a nightclub. There's always three ways in. You know, there's the first door where 99% of people wait in line hoping to get in. That's the first door. Mm -hmm. And then the second door is the VIP entrance mm -hmm. where the billionaires and the celebrities go through. But what I've learned time and time again is that there's always, always the third door. And it's a door where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if that's how, you know, I got my interview with Gates or if how Gates sold his first piece of software. At the end of the day, it's always the third door. Do you think that it takes a certain kind of person or that that mentality of, I don't care if somebody says no, whether it's once, twice, 300 times, I'm going to get to the yes. What does it take to get to that frame of mind, to that mindset 
of, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyways. So something that I've learned is that there's a huge difference between persistence and over-persistence. And it's something that they don't really talk about in business books. You know, I'd read in all these books, you know, persistence is the key to success. But there's never a disclaimer that says, you know, if you bang on the same door a thousand times, they're going to call the fucking police on you, right? And I think it's something very important for especially young people to learn. But, you know, even older people, there's a lot of older people who make the same mistakes. And I made those mistakes Mm -hmm. time and time again. And, you know, there's a huge difference, like I said, between banging on the same door a thousand times versus, you know, knocking on it a few times. All right, no one answered there. Let's go check the window. All right, let's go, like, make friends with a bouncer. You know, being creative about it. All right, I can't get in right now, but, oh, my friend just made it in. All right, let's ask him if he can, like, slip me a note and kick open the back door. Yeah. So there's a difference between, you know, you know, if one person said no to you, and you just like harassing them because that's what I did, thinking that that would eventually turn their no to a yes. The more you ask the event, the likelier they'll say yes. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to help people who they like. People want to help people who they believe in. Yeah. People want to help people who they want to see win. Um, and that took me a lot of mistakes to eventually learn. So throughout this seven-year journey, and you mentioned it many times in the book, is like you had many low moments as you did, you know, high moments. But the times where things just weren't working out, and you weren't getting any emails returned, you weren't getting, you know, your foot in the door. Most of the journey, uh, yeah. yeah. Most of the time, what kept you going? I mean, I mean, like I know it's like this this kind of methodology of like there's always a way in, but at some point you kind of must feel like you've exhausted all your options. Uh, and you got to kind of go back to that first door and keep knocking again, and you just have like no hope. Like, how did what kept you going? So, what I've realized is that the reason some people, you know, if they've done the hard thing of you know running down the alley, you know, banging on the door, they've already taken that leap, and now they're you know pursuing their dream. There's, a, there's two factors that I've realized probably make the biggest difference in the people who keep going versus the people who eventually, you know, give up. Maybe I would say three factors, actually. The first is how big and juicy and tantalizing their dream is to them. You know, if let's say I was like, hey, guys, um, you know, for your podcast, um, this, you know, really, you know, wealthy fascinating founder down the street who owned this building would be a good pick for your podcast. Would you be interested? And you're like, oh yeah, that's interesting. And you guys send him an email. He doesn't respond. You might just give up after that first email. Maybe you'll send a follow-up and you'll give up. But if I was like, hey, Bill Gates is down the street. I'd love to make an intro with you. Um, Are you guys interested? You'd be like, of course. Mm -hmm. You know, if he doesn't respond the first time or the second time, you guys will probably hit me up again the next week. Hey, can you like reach out to Bill again? If I don't respond next month, you guys are going to hit me up. Hey, can you... Right? Because it's just so interesting and it's so exciting for you. Um, so I think one of the big things that people don't realize is that the goal they're going after, the volume is too low. And it's really hard to stay motivated for something that you, like, care about, that you don't love. But, you you know, you enjoy it, but you're not obsessed with it. When you're, like, obsessed with an idea, when you think, like, this is going to just be the greatest thing ever. I I love this. 
you know, a million people can tell you no, but if you really believe it, you're going to keep going forward. So that's the mm-hmm. first thing, which is turning up the volume on the dream. Mm-hmm. The second thing is whether the people you, so when I am, you know, just rejected and devastated and thrown to the ground, the people that I would turn to never were like, not literally not once in seven years, were like, dude, I don't know if you're cut out for this. Literally not once in seven years. And I think that's so important. And that actually is a job you have to do before you pursue your dream. Where if you see that the people that you're surrounding yourself with are pessimistic or don't believe in you or don't believe in this idea or they're negative, um, look, they're still good people. I'm not, sure. you know, if you love them and they're your cousin and you want them in your life, like, great. But, like, hang out with them at family gatherings when you're, like, rejected and, you know, working on your dream – Maybe you don't hang out with Cousin Joe and you, you know, hang out with your friend who's super optimistic and empower each other like you guys are with each other. So that's the second thing. Making sure that the people that you turn to in these very crucial moments on your journey are the ones who are sort of like bowling are like your bumpers to make sure you never go into the gutter. Mm -hmm. And the third thing, which, you know... Didn't make it into the book, but it's one of my favorite things that I learned is this thing called the internal bias. And it's from Dean Kamen, you know, one of the most famous and prolific inventors mm-hmm. on earth. And he talks about how when, if you look at all of these, you know, highly, highly successful people who have, you know, just done radical things like Bill Gates and Buffett. If you look at their childhood, they had moments usually many moments where they achieved, you know, relative to their age, something like pretty incredible. Yeah. And even if it was like, you know, making the basketball, like, you know, something Isn't relative. Glad will also talk about this in his book? Uh, I think David and Goliath mentions this a little okay. too. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. But this, in, pretty much what the internal bias is and what Dean Cain was explaining to me is that when you're a kid... And you tell yourself this story subconsciously without knowing, oh, I can do anything. Even if that's, you know, completely incorrect. Like the only reason you got onto the basketball team is because your parents are friends with the principal who got you. Like it doesn't matter if it's a true or not true idea. If you as a kid have this internal bias of, oh, if I just work hard enough, you know, you, the book, the uh, it's called Mindset talks about this too. You know, if you have this mindset of, oh, if I just work hard enough and, you know, try hard enough, I can get it. All of a sudden, you have all these possibilities in your life. It's kind of like Paulo Coelho in um, Alchemist. Alchemist, where, like, he says, like, if you have something and the whole world conspires in helping you achieve it, like, when you put yourself out there, when you put your goals out there, like, sure, it could be an internal, you know, bias. But once you kind of express that, you know, once you told your friends, hey, this is a mission I want to go on, they're going to come and be like, yeah. Let's do this. Like, they're going to support you. And they did, like, you know, throughout the book, you discuss, you know, that several times, how they were always a part of it. Like, you constantly, you know, turn back to them. You constantly refer to them. And that helped you get to where you were and, you know, where you are today. I mean, they're still around you. Yeah. I'm one of my things that I always think about is how, you know, some people are billionaires with dollars. And I'm like a billionaire with my friendships. Right. Like, I just really feel like that's where I'm the wealthiest in my mm-hmm, life right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You touched upon a point, you know, 
positive people, negative people, or just optimistic people, you know, is there something along the way that, you know, you picked up from the folks that you interviewed about, you know, their surroundings, about who had supported them? I mean, it's very hard to kind of be on the same page as a Warren Buffett, you know, intellectually or Bill Gates intellectually. Did they ever discuss, you know, the folks around them and, you know, maybe their parents? I know you talk about, you know, your parents and at first they weren't really on board and, you know, eventually, you know, once you read the book, you'll figure that out. Uh -huh. But did they talk about the people around them that either helped them or, or discourage them sometimes? I, you know, in my research, yeah, yeah, um, you know, would uncover, you know, Bill Gates, parents were not in support of Bill dropping out of school. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's dad was a, is a dentist, you know, Gates's dad was an attorney. Like, you know, these aren't the kind of people who are like, you know, go pursue your dream. Anything's possible. They're a bit more conservative. Um, but even if you look at their present life, you know, Bill and Melinda run the foundation together. You know, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger run Berkshire Hathaway together. Like, all these people have these, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg. You know, partnerships are a huge part of success. And even I, as, like, an author, you know, looks like a solo mission. But really, like, I just had so much support. You know, one of my mentors, Cal Fussman, you know, was a huge support in the writing of the book. Another one of my mentors, Elliot Bisno, was a huge support in helping get the interviews and, you know, manage all the people aspects of putting a book together like mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. um, because this wasn't a book where it was just, you know, me writing about my, you know, personal life. It was, yeah. it was about me getting all of these people to come together behind this one cause, um, which, of course, took a lot of thoughtfulness. Yeah. You mentioned Elliot Bisno. He's a big part of the book and, and, and sort of your mentor. Um there's this part in the book where uh, it's sort of towards the end um, where you, it's kind of like, again, that moment where like you kind of feel like it's like all over, like nothing's working. Yeah. You've, you're trying everything, nothing's working. And then he gives you a piece of advice and uh, he said, think bigger, think different. Uh, and then I think like the chapter after, everything just seems like it's going like really well. So I was like really like, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa hold on a second there. Like what happened in between when Alex got that advice on like thinking bigger, thinking different? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting in a room with Jessica Alba and, and, and so on. Yeah, and the other piece of advice he gave in that chapter was also build a pipeline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. He said build... Uh, actually, that might have been in a... He early, definitely said that. That, that was might have been in an earlier chapter, but he said build a pipeline, think bigger, think different. Um, oh, he talked about bullshit nose. Like that chapter, he just lays out so yeah, many yeah. good things. Mm -hmm. um, I would say in that chapter is probably one of the best chapters about entrepreneurship, which yep, is... Yep, totally. It had the most underlines for me, for sure. Yeah, man. He's just... Elliot is probably one of the smartest people of our generation, in my opinion. And he just really gets it in a huge way. What happened with me is I just started realizing, all right, my original idea of I'm going to get Bill Gates and then, you know, Oprah will tell me, come on in, you know, mm -hmm. wasn't working. So let me just, you know, broaden the horizon. So I just started, you know, putting out more feelers, um... You know, when you open the pipeline, you start saying, you know, people, people start saying, yes, you have no idea what, what's going on in someone's world, right? So I'm sure with you guys, with your podcast, you reach out to a ton of different people mm -hmm. and some might say yes, some might say no. And you might think, okay, how do we pitch that correctly? How do we pitch mm -hmm. that incorrectly? Many times it's like, all right, Alex has a book coming out and like literally this month he's doing podcast interviews with anyone who asks. You know, so it might have to do with just the fact that 
what's going on in that person's life. And Elliot helped me realize, like, it's not about, like, you know, it's not about target practice. It's about putting up as many targets up in the air and just seeing which one hits. Yeah. And not being so attached to one particular one. Yeah. One thing I'm not... You mentioned it, I think, towards the, you know, acknowledgments of the book, but, you know, anybody that searches, you know, your story, you can find out. Early on, you got that gig as a venture capitalist. You know, it was around, I think, your sophomore year, right? Or freshman year. Um, How did that happen? I mean, I I remember when you were first telling me about it, I was like, what the hell is venture capital? Like, I had no clue. Um, And I was like, yeah, it's impressive, but I have no clue what it is until you explained it. How did that come about was that something that happened while you were on this mission yeah it was a part of the mission and it was never you know part of the plan it was it was an incredible opportunity and it was when i look back just a really it's something i'm just so grateful for it it took place i was about to just like you said i was a sophomore college Mm -hmm. i was two years into working on the book and I met a woman named Ernestine Fu who worked for a VC firm called Al Louis Partners in San Francisco. And after meeting her, she offered me to be an associate for the firm while still in school. And it was this incredible learning opportunity. And they were so supportive of the book the whole way through. They knew even in my job interviews, we talked about the book. When I, um, when I interviewed with Stuart Alsop, who's the head of the firm, in, our, in my job interview, I showed him like the note card of all the names of people who I'm trying to interview. Um, so... It was always integrated. They knew about it when you were going in. They knew about it before I even worked for the firm. Yeah. Um, and they've just been so supportive the whole way through. Stuart actually just finished reading the book and sent me an incredible note. So I, I couldn't be more grateful for them. And are you still involved? Are you still doing I'm 100% full-time on the book. You know, the yeah. book to me is less about a book and more about the larger mission. Where I believe if all these people come together, you know, not for press not to promote anything but really just to give their best wisdom to help the next generation young people can do so much more and i'm you know i'm so it's funny to like have a job that's like so fulfilling where i can just share this wisdom that's not my wisdom it's all these other people's wisdoms but i can almost be this vessel and conduit and share it with people who are looking for it for me, one of the my favorite stories from the book was how you even got like that agent, how this book deal even came together. Because you're a first time author. I mean, you're you're a young guy. You, you're not what nineteen, twenty when you start. Maybe even eighteen when you started this mission. I mean, how how did you even? Like, what, what was going through your head when you're just like, I know I'm going to be able to do this. I know it's going to happen, but I'm getting all these no's again and again. Like this concept of getting rejected really is like prevalent throughout the book, and I think it's prevalent through everyone's lives everyone who's trying to accomplish something you get a lot of no's like that's I mean, we were talking about this last night I th- for me a no is like the first step to getting the yes like you tell me no like it's going to turn into a yes eventually um what was going through your head you know that, that there was other forces perhaps you know making this mission a little bit more difficult well making it more difficult definitely had to do with my age it had to do with um you know my lack of experience but at the same time, in hindsight, I can see those two things are also some of my biggest superpowers. Mm-hmm. Because of my age, some people who are incredibly wise and successful took me under their wing and cared for me and looked out for me in a way they 
probably wouldn't do for a 50-year-old person who's trying to write this book. And my lack of experience, while it got me in a lot of trouble a lot of times, it also was a huge help by making me believe in what's possible. So many times someone who's an expert on a subject is confined by the limitations. So they don't even get started. Because I had no idea what I was doing, I was just seeing possibility. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, so uh, another big part of the book is is kind of your your family and your upbringing and, and uh, how, you know, your, your parents always wanted to be, you, you wanted to be a doctor. Uh, how have they taken it uh, as far as your, you know, obviously now that you're done with the journey and you're starting to launch your book, uh, what have they been kind of talking to you about? My mom, when I, you know, dropped out of pre-med, I remember her crying. When I dropped out of school, like, tears were the, the least of my worries, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I've also learned about, you know, the power of unconditional love. And I'm just so grateful for my mom. She's, she's like the biggest supporter of the book. Um, and I'm just, I'm so grateful that you know, not only does she support it, she's like so involved. She came to one of the book launch, um, book tour events on Monday night, sitting in the first row. Mm -hmm. um, the whole audience, I had them say like, hi, mom. Like, it just felt really good to like have my mom, right. um, you know, by my side through all this. And when you're younger and your mom is crying because you're, you know, leaving pre-med, you think like, this is the end. Like, I'm losing my mother. I'm never going to... You know, she's never going to love me again. And thankfully, I've learned how while our relationship can bend, it, it doesn't break. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I have this feeling that the mission is only getting started. I think, obviously, you know, this is the first, you know, I guess part of it or, or you know, a big part of it. But, you know, what what comes after or what, what is... You know, obviously we want folks to read this book and really be inspired by it and, you know, create this community that really understands, you know, you know, the power of really kind of persistence and the power of kind of pursuing your passion and what you really want to do, um, you know, with, you know, you've met amazing people along the way that have not only been your mentors, but have been your friends, you know, what, what, what is Alex's day to day like now and what does he plan to do, you know, down the line? So my big focus right now is about, you know, sharing the book with as many people as possible. Because what I've learned at the end of the day is that this book, while there's like, you know, tremendous tools and tactics in there and lessons, it's really a book about possibility. And I learned that, you know, you can give someone all the tools and tactics in the world and their life can still feel stuck. But if you change what someone believes is possible, they'll never be the same. So that's my mission right now. We're just sharing this, you know, mindset of possibility as widely as possible. Well, Alex, thanks so much for the time. And Thank uh, you we're so excited much, to see where the book goes and uh, what you do next. You know, hopefully this is the first of many and um, where the kind of the journey takes you. Thank you guys. Thank you.